0: Luke, um, we've had a, I've had the privilege of being on his teams, and uh, he does a, an amazing job. He's a great people person, and certainly loves the Lord. And we're just very excited for you and what what God's going to continue to do through you. Well, anybody here heard of hypertension? What's the other word for that? High blood, High blood pressure, right? Um, and we've all heard of that and uh, know what that is and. Uh, talk about it a lot but I read something recently a guy named Timothy Jennings wrote a book called The God Shaped Heart and he talks about hypertension and we know a lot of times it's called the silent killer people right in this room right now you could have it and not even know it right you know and you can't just look at somebody and know what's going on inside of their heart but he said hypertension has been called the silent killer but medical professionals and we know in our time, that we watch that pretty uh, pretty closely, don't we? When you go, they take it and look at it. And a lot of people, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would guess that there are several people in here that are on some sort of a high blood pressure medicine. Probably, a lot of people are. But he says uh, medical professionals didn't always realize this. In fact, some doctors argued. Um, that hypertension was a made-up disorder that didn't need to be treated at all. For instance, in 1931, Dr. J.H. Hay proclaimed, the greatest danger to a man with high blood pressure lies in its discovery, because then some fool is certain to try and reduce it. Can you imagine a doctor saying that today? (laughs) But tragic results followed from this idea in that time period, because they just kind of ignored it. Consider the true case uh, of a man named Frank. Frank was diagnosed with hypertension in 1937, and he was at the age of 54 at the time. His blood pressure at the time was 162 over 98. He was considered by physicians at the time to be mild hypertension. No treatment was initiated at the time. By 1940, three years later, his blood pressure was running 180 over, one, uh, 180 over 88. In 1941, it was 188 over 105. And he was encouraged to cut back on smoking and his work. But his condition didn't improve. By 1944, his pressure was running higher and he suffered a series of small strokes. This was followed by classic symptoms of heart failure. So he was placed on a low-salt diet with hydrotherapy and experienced some improvement. But by February of 1945, his pressure was 260 over 145. And on April 12th, 1945, he complained of a severe headache with his blood pressure measuring 300 over 190. He lost consciousness and died later that day at the age of 63. Y'all may know Frank as Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the 32nd President of the United States. So unrecognized heart problems can have devastating results, can't they? We know that some of us have had loved ones who went on and on. So today, I think that kind of paves the way for our, our passage today. We've been talking about, um, in my series called Practice Makes Permanent, we've been talking about how things we do in our life can just become permanent if we just continue to do the same things over and over again, and we don't evaluate, we don't hold each other accountable to things. We can just get in those patterns and ignore them, and they can have some, some bad results. So what I want us to ask today is, what is your heart saying today? Now, we're not really talking about hypertension today, but we're talking about our heart, our emotions, our our mind, and our soul. This may seem odd to ask whether our heart is saying anything when our heart doesn't speak. We know that would be the mouth, Craig, but in this text that we're going to look at today, Jesus indirectly asked this question of everybody in his audience about specifically, what is your heart saying in this encounter he has today when we look and when we look and talk about our heart we know what function it actually serves we know the heart pumps blood it is a organ that pumps blood through our whole whole entire body and we need that to function properly to live healthy a healthy life it pumps blood through our entire body but throughout history we've also known that the heart has been a symbol for our inner being our core what we believe what our feelings are and what we express We've heard the word heart used since we were probably little to talk about how we feel. We've heard it in language. We've heard it in literature. We've certainly heard it in music and in other contexts. And most of us probably have a general definition of the heart, thinking it is something inside of us that feels emotions like love, affection, compassion, sorrow. But on the other hand, our heart can also feel things like hurt, deep hurt, or even anger, can it? So the definition of the heart in the Bible isn't given in one verse, but it is given throughout the Bible. We can think over the years how many times we've read about the heart in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's spread out through many verses in the Bible and can be easy to miss sometimes. But since the Bible refers to the heart hundreds of times, it's obviously significant to God and it's obviously significant to us to know where our heart is and how we're feeling. David Garland, in his commentary, discusses how best to deal with people when we're trying to convince someone from the heart that Jesus really is our Savior, that He really is the Son of God, and that they really need to have Jesus in their lives. You ever tried to convince somebody of that that wasn't really convinced of it? And he says this, he says, there may be a time when it is expedient to retreat in the face of ...of deadly antagonism. That means there's going to be times when people are going to be very antagonistic towards us... ...when we try to share Christ with them. There may be other times when a frontal assault will be effective. Most of the time we refute more effectively the claims of hardened enemies... ...with mysterious parables or stories like Jesus did... ...which tease the mind in discovering the truth for itself... ...rather than with abstract arguments or shouting matches... ...designed more to win over the opponents than to win them over. Jesus' use of parables with his opponents is the way of true love. He does not simply want to rout them in a debate, but to entice them to think together with him. His use of, his use of arresting imagery provides a common ground so that they can understand and they can, he can enlighten them with the truth if they are willing to open up their minds and their hearts. So, with that in mind, I want us to look at a, a passage today, a text from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 22. Starting in verse 22, and we'll go through 37. I believe that's going to be on the screen. Or y'all can certainly open your Bibles or your personal devices. But we're going to look at that and listen carefully to this encounter Jesus has on this particular day. So then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then, can his sting, his, how then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, then how do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house." Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad... ...and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Now listen to this statement. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account... ...on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken... For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's a tough passage there, isn't it? And as we listen to this day in the life of Jesus and this encounter that he had that day, there were different things going on in people's hearts, in the crowd that he was speaking to that was kind of watching what was going on here. A man who could not see, who could not speak, and was demon-possessed, was brought to Jesus. Can you imagine? I'm trying to just put my head around what it would be like to be blind, just one of those things, or not be able to speak. But to not be able to speak and be blind and be demon-possessed, can you imagine what kind of life this man must have been going through? And it seems obvious that those who brought him to Jesus were hoping that Jesus would heal this man. they've heard that Jesus can do this. But they were bringing him to Jesus because surely he can do something. We've seen him heal blind people, mute people. We've seen him uh, cast out demons. So maybe he can do all of that for this man. And Jesus does heal him. Obviously, they were... The people that brought him had hearts of compassion for this man, for love for him, and they brought him to Jesus. And there there were the hearts of the people who witnessed this that day. And they basically are asking, could this be the son of David? It's obvious this man was blind and he was mute and he had a demon. And now he doesn't. We've, we've witnessed a miracle here, there's no doubt. But could Jesus, who did this, actually be the son of David? And they were very hopeful in this because saying that he is the son of David is really saying he is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Savior that we've heard about for so long. Is that who he is? If he can do this, maybe that's who he is. And so they're asking this question. So they have hearts that are hopeful, that have witnessed a miracle, but they're still a little skeptical. Is, is he really who he says he is? And then there were the hearts of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious professionals of the day. And they responded with, it is only by Beelzebub. And maybe some of your versions say Beelzebub. I'm not really sure. There's different names for, for these demons. The prince of demons. It's only by Beelzebub that the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now what does that say about their heart? This immediately throws this dark cloud on this incredible miracle for a man who has been suffering terribly. They're not happy that this man can see again. They're not happy that this man can speak. They're not happy that this man is no longer tormented by the demon that's inside of him. But all they can think is that the only reason Jesus did this is because he's doing it from the power of Satan. And people that hear this go, what? Who is Beelzebub maybe? Now, they probably in this culture know this is a pagan god that is connected to satan and satanic worship they're aware that that is in some of the regions around them they've heard about this but they're going is that right we've just seen this great miracle and this man is no longer in the state that he was shouldn't we be happy about this but is that right did jesus do this by the power of satan so all of a sudden you see what can happen you can see how one group of people can get something going because of what is in their heart you ever experienced that You ever been around something that was very positive and that you thought, wow, that's fantastic. And then one or two people get together and try to throw a wet blanket on the whole thing. Or bring a dark cloud into something and it makes people go, what? Is that right? Well, we can tell by seeing something miraculous and positive instead of bringing hope. That it can bring doubt and confusion when people practice saying hard things. That are in their hard hearts. You ever met anybody with a hard heart? You can tell, can't you? There's something that you go, man, what is wrong with that guy? What is wrong with her? And a lot of times it's that hardness has come from a lot of hurt, isn't it? There's something that's happened. It's real, but they haven't ever dealt with that hardness in their heart. And it comes out in everything they say and in the things that they do. So how do we know that their hearts were hard? Well, I'll tell you how I know If you go back in this same chapter, chapter 12, a few verses before this, Jesus was brought a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And Jesus knows that they have brought this man to him to heal, but it's on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are there and they already know that Jesus' popularity has been gaining and gaining. And they don't like this, so they're looking at him and they go, Is it right to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? Like, are you really going to do this on the Sabbath day? You can't do that. And Jesus says, absolutely, it is right to do good on the Sabbath. And right there in front of everybody, he touches the man's hand and is completely restored in front of everybody. And the Pharisees' reaction when they see this, Jesus, you're right, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, to do good on the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, would you mind coming back to the temple and do a seminar for us on and help us change our hearts on this and the other traditional laws we have made our God? That's not what they said at all. Matthew tells us this is what they did. Matthew tells us the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Does that disturb anybody? The religious leaders, the religious professionals of the day, because Jesus restored a man's hand on the Sabbath day, did good, let's kill him. I would say that's a hard heart. That comes from a hard heart. But back to our text today. Knowing that helps us see how and why they reacted and said what they did here. This guy's getting more popularity. We're not happy that he's healing people and bringing restoration to people's lives and pointing them to God as we're supposed to be. But we're going to try to catch him in something. And they're plotting this whole time. How are they going to kill Jesus? But notice how Jesus responds to this odd accusation about being ch- uh, doing this in the name of Satan. Matthew tells us that Jesus knows their thoughts. Now, I don't know about you, but we as humans, a lot of times, we have to try to guess and project what somebody's thoughts are, don't we? We see them do something, we hear them say something, and we have to kind of go, well, I think that they're doing this because, but we don't really know. We're just guessing, but Jesus knew their very thoughts. He knew Even a few days before that they were plotting to kill him. He knew what their thoughts were. But Jesus seems to calmly tell them these logical facts that everybody seems to know. He goes, really, I'm doing this in the name of Satan. He says, when kingdoms or cities or families or, or anything like that, any kind of group, when it's divided, they're ruined and they will not stand. Everybody knows that. If Satan is driving out Satan, he is divided and how can his kingdom stand? So what are you talking about? If I'm driving out demons by Beelzebub, then who do your folks drive the demons out? Because apparently some of the Pharisees or religious leaders of the time did some uh, demon possession casting out. So who do yours do it by? So Jesus is kind of asking these logical questions that everybody's kind of... you know He knows what people are thinking, not only the religious leaders, but the other people who were going, is that right? What are they saying about Jesus? And then Jesus gives everyone there a chance to choose. He basically says, did I do this by the power of Satan, like your professionals, religious leaders are telling you? Or did I do this by the finger of God, by the Spirit of God? It's either one or the other. You have to decide, and Jesus makes that very clear. Then Jesus takes the Pharisee's accusation and pushes it even further. And he talks about how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions? If he's going to do that, first he has to tie up the strong man, then he can rob the house... And carry off his possessions. And I don't know about you. But the first time I read this. I go, do what now? What what does that have to do with this? But Jesus, I think, is making very, very clear here. Something that he wants everybody in the audience to know. That his power is from God. It is from the Holy Spirit. And God is stronger than Satan. That's how Jesus is able to free this man. That's how Jesus is able from this strong man, Satan. To take this power of possessing this man. And by his words or by his touch. Cast out that demon so this man is no longer possessed. And he's telling people that. And Jesus goes on to say, if you're not for me, you're against me. And this is what we've talked about a lot. When you look at Jesus, he says, it's either this or that. And that's the way it should be. But in our culture, we have so many choices of so many different things. We try to say, well, you know, maybe it's this and maybe... No, Jesus is always saying, it's either this or it's that. I either just drove out this demon by the power of God's Spirit... Or I did it by Satan. Which is it? You're either for me and trust me or you're against me and you don't trust me. And Jesus knows this is a process, but he knows what's going on and he's making it clear to people. They have to make a choice. And I think he's saying that to us today as well. And then he makes one of the most scary and puzzling for many people. I get asked this question a lot, or I have got asked this question a lot in the Gospels about the unforgivable sin. Has anybody ever struggled with this one? What's the unforgivable sin? A lot of people don't know. A lot of people think it's suicide. I've had people come to me and think it was suicide. And they go, no, the only unforgivable sin that I read about in the New Testament is what he's talking about here, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this, and I don't want to necessarily, and I don't want to scare people or freak people out. But let's just say, if you see something that is clearly very, very positive, miraculous, Act that has to be from God, and you speak against the person who did it, Jesus says you can be forgiven. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit by which it was done, He said there is that seems to be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and you will not be forgiven of that. Now, we may go, Yeah, that seems to make sense, but did the Pharisees do that? In this passage that we read, did they blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Now, nobody wants to answer because it's the wrong answer. I ain't going to answer in church. I think they did, but that's between them and Jesus, isn't it? It seems obvious with their hard hearts and the evil in their heart that that's exactly what they're doing. But let's say, for instance, today we've just had a young man come forward and say he's going to go uh, to work for Costas por Cristo, and one of us said something really derogatory about Luke or about what he was doing and questioned whether God really called him to do that. That person would scare me. Would they scare you? That would seem like a hard heart. you got to be careful with those kind of things. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. So I don't want to freak out or worry that we might have accidentally done this. You don't accidentally do something like this. This is when your heart is so hard and evil... That is, it's not questioning God. Please understand that. When we question God like David did in the Psalms, when we get mad at God or we're upset with God because something has happened to us or a loved one or something has happened in our life that we don't understand and we say, God, I don't know why you did this. I'm mad at you. That's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, y'all. That's not what it's talking about at all. God's okay with that. But when we take something that's obvious, obviously from the Spirit of God And we say that's not really the Spirit of God. That's a dangerous, dangerous territory. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus goes on to give people some more examples to think on. He says, make a tree good and it's... Its fruit will be good. We kind of understand that. Jesus talks a lot about agriculture throughout the Gospels. Make a tree bad and it will be bad. And we can think about that and understand that. That's true. Then he confronts the Pharisees by calling them a brood of vipers. And he says, how can anything good come out of you who are evil? And he doesn't hold back. He's letting them know, you're supposed to be the the ministers, the pastors of the people. You're the religious leaders. You're the professionals. And this is how you're responding to A man who has had these kind of horrible problems in his life. This is how you're responding. You're attacking me. And then he says this this quote. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Has your mouth ever spoken what your heart is full of? Mine has. Have you ever just unloaded on somebody? And you're like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. But it's already out. Can't bring that back. But that's what Jesus, for out. Of the mouth, it's the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and we have a lot of stuff that builds up in our heart sometimes, don't we? And we say things. So the other night, one of my children, which I will not tell you which one. but they have one of these little incidents. I could see it kind of brewing. You know how you're in the other room and you're hearing conversation between them and the other sibling. And you're like, uh-oh, this is not, this is getting bad. And uh, so I was hearing it. And then um, it had to do over um, a, a ball that they were playing with. And somebody didn't want somebody to have the ball at the time because they weren't engaged in the game. And uh, then all of a sudden I, I, I literally heard the ball whizzing through the air and almost hit the other one and hit the wall, and um, there was this, so anyway, I had to get the one who threw it, and he uh, was just saying, oh, well, you know, I was just throwing it back over there, and I was like, no, that wasn't a throwing back over there, (laughs) so we had this little conversation, and then he said some other things that weren't exactly nice to his sibling, and I was like, uh, so we had to have a little heart talk about, hey, what's going on inside of your heart, and you know, he started crying, and he was kind of sharing what was going on in his heart, but you know what, his heart was full at the time of anger, And maybe some jealousy and and whatever else was going on. And that's what caused him to do that. And I thought, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. The mouth speaks. We act when the heart is full of something, don't we? Now, it can be a positive thing. Um, Whether you have, uh, you know, this morning I want us to think about, you know, Jesus says we have to um, give an account for every careless word. Does that scare any of y'all? It scares me a little bit, but after what we've just done this morning and taking communion, I realize that I've been forgiven of that. You've been forgiven of that. We don't have to worry about those things. Yes, we need to watch what we say, but we are forgiven of those things. So what do we need to do this morning? Worry whether you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, I think we're all okay with that. But I do think what we need to do, whatever it is this morning, that Jesus is saying that your mouth is speaking about it. Whatever's in your heart, you're speaking about it. It can be good things. It can be joy. The reality is, is our hearts do get full, don't they? Has your heart ever been full with something? We understand that feeling. And when they're full of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, like Paul talks about being full of the fruit of the Spirit, then that's what comes out of our mouth. We hear kindness and patience and goodness and joy. And that's what we practice. But there's other times when our our heart is full of hurt, isn't it? And we know that, too. We've been there, too. Maybe hatred discord and jealousy and that's what I was kind of sharing you know with with my kid this week is that man something made you do that and say those things because your heart is filled with something talk about that and at first he didn't want to talk about it but later he came to me and I was really thankful that he wanted to talk about that because it was it was full and when it happens then, then stuff comes out of our mouths and things that we practice comes out and it has the potential to hurt people but here's the good news that Jesus came for he wants to heal your heart no matter what it's full of, no matter how much hurt it is. That's why he came, to heal our hearts. Ultimately, even that man who was blind and could not speak and had a demon, he wanted to ultimately heal his heart. He wanted to heal those other things, but ultimately his heart needed to be healed. And he knows what's in your heart and my heart. And we can fake that from each other, can't we? Or for some people. We can hide it from our spouse or our kids or the people at church for some time, but eventually that stuff comes out of our heart. And some of us today may think that our heart can't be healed. And sometimes we believe actually the lies of Satan who tells us that it's permanent. Your hurt is permanent. Your pain is permanent. Your hardened heart is permanent. You will never be able to get rid of that. It will never be healed. And that's a lie from Satan because that's why Jesus came, to heal our hearts. The man who was blind, mute, and demon-possessed, you know what? I bet he thought he was never going to speak again. I bet he thought he was never going to see things clearly again. I bet he thought, I'm going to be tormented by this demon for the rest of my life. But it wasn't permanent, was it? Jesus was able to take that and heal him. And he wants to heal our hearts today. If we're willing to let him in to our hearts. So this morning, if you're a Christian already, you know this. But still, even as Christians, our heart can get full, can't it? The Apostle Paul talks about things in his life as he went on all these missionary journeys. I'll tell you right now, Luke, you know what? Even in doing God's work, your heart can get full. We know that. And we need to be able to watch that and, and have someone and people in a group surrounding us. And I know Koss is well enough to know that he's going to be surrounded with good people who are going to help him watch his heart. But we need to do that. If you've got something that it, that's in your heart and it's full, you need to deal with that. Talk to somebody you love and you know. I would, in, I would encourage you to go to some sort of a counseling if you need to do that. But deal with that that's in your heart. But if you need to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and we're going to offer that opportunity this morning if there's someone here today that needs to do that for the first time. Or be a part of a church that says, hey, you know what? We want to take care of people's hearts. I've been around here long enough to know that we have a lot of people in this church that love each other. And that care about each other and look out for each other's hearts. And that's the kind of church we are. So Mike's going to come and lead us. And if you have a decision that you want to make today, we ask you to come at this time as we stand and sing. <laughs>